I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, it's Thomas Fati. Welcome to this edition of Arsenal Audio Match Day Program. Arsenal versus Brentford, Saturday, 19th of February 2022. Kickoff 3 p.m. The contents: official voice around Arsenal, sustainability, player feature Martin Odegaard, history, community voice, foundation voice. Academy Young Gun, around the academy, Arsenal women, visitors, Brentford, match action, Arsenal versus Burnley FC, match action, Norwich versus Wolverhampton Wanderers, supporters voice and teams. Official voice, Mikel Arteta. Every issue, we hear from significant figures at the club on our official voice pages of the programme. Today we get the word from manager Mikel Arteta, who tells us about the recent training camp in Dubai, the current state of the squad and his ambitions for the rest of the season. The recent international break gave us some time to refresh ourselves ahead of the second half of the season, and now we want to use the good result at Wolves to start a run for us. After the last game here at the Emirates, against Burnley, we had a break of more than two weeks and we wanted to maximise that time as best we could. We thought the best way of doing that was by staying all together, but doing so in a different environment, with clear objectives, so we decided to spend some time in Dubai. It was important not only physically, but mentally as well. It's been a tough season, and a tough few years in fact. We wanted to take the opportunity to get a few things from our trip. We want to keep improving the efficiency of our game model, and we had a beautiful place to do it. Secondly, we set a clear objective for what we want to do at the end of the season. We have 16 games to finish, so we discussed how we're going to approach them and what we want to achieve in those games. The third thing was about building the unity and spirit that's in the group, and that has to be maintained. That's why we decided to take the families with us as well, because they're a big part of what we do, and we need them on board to keep pushing us every day. So the focus is very much on looking forward, but I also had a bit of time to reflect on the season so far, to look at what we've done well and what we can learn from. Obviously it was a really difficult start to the season with all the Covid cases that we had, the players we missed and the results we had in the first three games. 
After that, I think we showed a lot of unity and togetherness in the group to turn it around, and we started with the run of games that was fantastic. We've seen the quality of a lot of young talent that we have around the squad, and they're really taking leadership. The senior players have been exceptional with them, and most importantly, they're really creating a connection again with our supporters. That's both here at the Emirates and when we play away. There is a real belief here that this project is going to work, and hopefully the fans are seeing that. I know you've all been patient when needed, and I hope the team has given you enough to keep us all together and keep you all believing in what we're doing. We have the youngest squad in the league, and that's not a coincidence. We plan to do something like that because we had to rebuild something that we believe in. We have a squad full of enthusiasm and passion, but with the right amount of quality and experience as well, which I think is very much needed. So we're really looking forward to these last few months. We know what the aim is at the end of the season where we want to be. It's high, but it's possible, and we're going to have a real go in the second half of the season to achieve it. When I look at the squad, it gives me a lot of confidence, because I see how much they want it. It's true, we still have a lot of things to improve. We've lost points that sometimes show the lack of maturity we have in the squad, but at the same time we won a lot of games because of the enthusiasm, the passion and the energy they bring to the team. So we have to keep maintaining that balance and give them confidence. When those players feel supported and know that we're right behind them and they play with no fear, that's when they really fulfil their capacities and qualities. It's our job to do it and our fans have been crucial in that because the players have really felt they're right behind them. It was difficult at times for us in January. We had Covid cases, some injuries, players were at the Africa Cup of Nations and the transfer window was open. We lost players in that window and a lot of things happened over a few weeks. Our squad was stretched, but it also gave us an opportunity to involve some of our academy players. I think they really enjoyed it. When we went to Dubai, we took five or six of them as well, because these are experiences that are so rich for them. Just to be living with the professional players, the habits that they have, to get integrated, to get the right level of interaction and confidence for them. Then afterwards, when they're needed, they can do it more naturally. Those young players have been on the bench for a few games as well, becoming more involved. They're not just close to the squad, they've been part of it now. So that means their level is very high. If it wasn't, we would have picked someone else. They know if they get selected, they have to be prepared. Also last month, we had some more of our young players leaving the club on loan deals, and that's a really important part of the pathway we're creating for them. Now it's down to them to show, at different levels, in different environments, that they can perform. We have to see things from them that are going to be relevant for us when we make decisions on them. In the end, it doesn't matter whether you're an academy player or a new signing. You have to come to improve the team and increase the level of the squad. So that's what those young players have to try to do. Now though, it's all about the players we have available and with us in the squad until the end of the season. After a lot of changes recently, games in different competitions and a break between matches, we have to reset the button. We're in a period now when games are not regular every week. The cycles we're used to and we prepare for have been altered. But you have to adapt to it. We had a gap. We tried to maximise that as much as possible and be ready for the restart because it's going to be intense from now on. I think there's more clarity now than there was last month. It looks as though Covid is drifting the right way at least. The transfer period is over. We have our players back from the AFCON. So we know exactly the players that we're going to have available now. When you don't have a player or two who can score 25 or 30 goals per season, which we don't have at the moment, 
then of course the goals need to come from around the squad. We have to share that responsibility among the team. There have been periods, for example in November and December, when we scored a lot of goals and they were well shared. So it's something that we have to continue to do and we have to understand that this responsibility is shared among the team. This team is aware of that. I keep telling everyone how close they are, how much they like to play together, the unity and togetherness around that dressing room and how willing they are to defend that shirt every single match. Well, we saw that at Wolves in our last game especially the way we defended with 10 men for the last 25 minutes. I really mean it when I say it, and that game was another example. We have so many examples of that, and that's why I'm proud to be the coach of these players. That was obviously a massive game for us. We played away against a really good team that makes very few errors, that concedes very little, and to themselves extremely dangerous. I think we had some really good periods in the game. We went ahead, but the red card changed the context completely. We had to dig in, we had to suffer. We showed great resilience, we defended the box extremely well and that's why at the end we got the points. Yes, our record with red cards is worrying but to be fair, it's the first time I've seen a red card like Gabby's in the 18 years I've been in this league. I think you have to be pretty willing to give a red card in that situation but still it happened. We know that if you play with 10 men in this league too often you're not going to get enough points and we have to stop it. But also it's difficult to find more arguments and more ways to transmit that to the players. Everybody says it's the most disciplined group they've seen in the last 15 years, but still we're getting red cards for other things. We work on it though, and the determination of the squad to put things right gives me confidence we'll improve. And I want to finish by talking about our relationship with the fans again. It's something that, in my opinion, we lost a little bit when I arrived, but it should be one of our biggest strengths. The power, the history, the tradition we have at this club and as well the demands we put on ourselves and each other. The demands have to be there to push each of us every day to seek excellence, which is what this club demands. But as well you need the right support and the understanding of where we are. You cannot compare the team from 20 years ago with this team for example because they are two completely different contexts. The league is different, the profile of player is different but the aim is exactly the same, to be the best. That's the mindset of every player here. I know it's what our supporters want as well. So together we can get there. Thanks for your fantastic support and enjoy the game today. Around Arsenal. It's LGBT History Month. That rush and the sights and the sounds and the smells. I want everyone to experience that. Those are the words of Jonathan Green, a member of Gay Gooners, on the importance of everybody being able to feel at home here at Arsenal. We're proud of our close relationship with Gay Gooners and we're working together to share our joint message that everyone is welcome. Together, we're committed to spreading this message and at today's game, we're handing our platform to Gay Gooners to share what belonging to Arsenal means to them. In addition we're making it clear that homophobic or any discriminatory chanting is not welcome at Arsenal. Ensure you report any discriminatory abuse by texting FOUL and your block, row and seat number to 67777. Today you'll see a new video on the big screen explaining why discriminatory chanting is not acceptable. You'll also see Progress Pride flags flying proudly and we're showing our support 
on the cover of today's programme too. Football has the power to unite people of all backgrounds and we don't want anyone to feel like it's not for them. Camden and Islington LGBT History Month 2022 North London LGBTQ Plus Charity Forum Plus is very proud to present a fantastic programme of activities and events celebrating LGBT History Month. Camden and Islington's rich LGBT history is highlighted in a very special collection of activities and events which celebrate the culture, lives and experiences of the local LGBT community. We invite all the community to join the festivities and explore local LGBT history through exhibitions, book groups, film screenings, spoken word, history talks and more. Go to www.forumplus.org.uk for more details. A first for the programme. In recognition of LGBT History Month, you may notice a unique change to the cover of the Matchday programme today. We have a special rainbow crest for this game only, and the very sharp-eyed readers will also notice our tiny red cannons at the bottom of our white pages are also looking more colourful this issue. Make sure you check out our picture section today too and our centre page image which features quotes from a number of our gay gooners. AST Raffle Arsenal Supporters Trust are currently running a raffle with all funds going to the Arsenal Foundation. When you've read the incredible list of prizes, we're sure you'll agree it's a must-enter for all Arsenal fans. The prizes. Shirt signed by the men's team. Shirt signed by the women's team. Football signed by the men's team. Three copies of Per Mertesacker's autobiography signed by the BFG himself. A pair of tickets to My Arsenal Rewards Executive Box for a Premier League game. A pair of tickets for a Premier League game in club level. To enter, please go to the AST Twitter feed at AST underscore Arsenal, where you will find a link to enter. Tickets are priced at just £2, but make sure you enter soon. The raffle closes on Monday, March 7th. No More Red Our last home match centred on the No More Red initiative, and we'd like to thank everyone involved with that match day for making the launch so successful not least for the kind words we received about the fantastic programme cover artwork provided by the very talented Verona. We listed the organisations and supporting charities who had been gifted the unique white shirts worn by the players in the FA Cup fixture against Nottingham Forest and we'd like to take the opportunity to provide some background to these very worthy causes. DSYF Don't Stab Your Future Don't Stab Your Future started as a shout-out from Idris Elba in response to a series of tragic knife crimes in the UK. Streetwear campaigns are regularly launched through DSYF to raise awareness and amplify the message, with the proceeds supporting an ecosystem of inspiring anti-knife crime charities, initiatives and programmes working with young people. Find out more at www.2hrset.com DSYF Steel Warriors Steel Warriors is an anti-knife crime charity that melt down knives taken off the streets and recycle the steel for free outdoor gyms. They use street workout to transform the lives of young people affected by crime and social exclusion. Find out more at www.steelwarriors.co.uk 
Box Up Crime. Box Up Crime is a unique organisation offering vulnerable young people the chance of a brighter future through boxing, music and education. We offer positive alternative paths for young people at risk. Their approach focuses on mentoring to promote self-reliance and a strong sense of purpose, empowering young people to harness their talents and change their lives. Stephen Lawrence Day Foundation The Stephen Lawrence Day Foundation was established amid unprecedented growing global awareness of racial inequality. It exists to inspire a more equal, inclusive society, fostering opportunities for marginalised young people. The foundation is home of Stephen Lawrence's legacy and has classrooms, communities and careers at its core. Find out more at stephenlawrenceday.org. St Giles Trust St Giles helps people held back by poverty, exploited, abused, dealing with addiction or mental health problems, caught up in crime or a combination of these issues and others. They create positive futures by training and employing people with experience of those issues to help others who are going through it right now and prevent those who are at future risk. Find out more at www.stgilestrust.org.uk Ben Kinsella Trust. The Ben Kinsella Trust is one of the leading anti-knife crime charities in the UK. They were set up following the murder of Ben Kinsella on the doorstep of Emirates Stadium in 2008. They exist to campaign against knife crime and to educate young people about its dangers and help them make positive choices to stay safe. Find out more at benkinsella.org.uk. Copenhagen Youth Project. The Copenhagen Youth Project provide a safe, caring, youth-led space for local young people, where they can learn, develop and build towards a brighter future. Having started out 20 years ago as a grassroots local effort to tackle problems faced and expressed by local children and young people, they have developed into an established local charity with a strong track record supported by a number of long-term funders. Find out more at www.cyproject.org. Octopus Community Network Octopus Community Network is a mutual collaboration between 15 of Islington's largest multi-purpose community centres working together to address social injustices, food insecurity, health inequality, race and gender inequality and climate change. They are passionate about the role of community centres in tackling poverty and lack of opportunity through community organising and community-led development. Find out more at www.octopuscommunities.org.uk Abianda Abianda works with young women affected by gangs and county lines. Their mission is to bring about a culture shift in the way services are delivered so these women feel safe to access help, are no longer a hidden group in our communities and are free from harm and abuse. Find out more at abianda.com Ticket news Home tickets Arsenal versus Leicester. Premier League, Sunday, March 13th. Kickoff, 4pm. This is a Category B fixture. My Arsenal Rewards members will earn 100 points for each ticket purchased for this fixture. Tickets are now on sale to all current Silver, Purple, Cannon and Junior Gunner members via the ticket exchange. Arsenal versus Brighton and Hove Albion. Premier League, Saturday, April 9th. Kickoff 3pm. This is a Category C fixture. My Arsenal Rewards members will earn 200 points 
for each ticket purchased for this fixture. Tickets are now on sale to Silver, Purple, Canon and Junior Gunner members. An allocation of tickets will go on sale to Red members at 10am on Wednesday, February 23rd. Booking fees apply. Away tickets. Watford vs Arsenal. Vicarage Road, Premier League, Sunday, March 6th. Kickoff 2pm. Sold out. Live on BT Sport. Aston Villa vs Arsenal. Villa Park, Premier League, Saturday, March 19th. Kickoff 12.30pm. Live on Sky Sports. We have received an allocation of 2,961 tickets. Please check arsenal.com for latest availability for this fixture. Our very own John Sperling, author of the history pages in the programme, has a new book out next month, and it looks like a cracker. Get It On gives a warts and all account of football in the 1970s, a decade which started with the Gunners winning the double and ended with our FA Cup final win over Manchester United. Leading football writer Patrick Barclay said of John's book, You always know you're going to get a fascinating read from Sperling, but this is his most vivid book yet. Sheer joy. For us old geezers, it's like being miraculously transported back to the 1970s, and for the younger readers, I can promise you, quite an education. All that and Charlie George's fighting on the cover. You can pre-order your book from Amazon now, but we have a copy to give away to a reader if they answer the following question correctly. Who were the two men who managed Arsenal in the 1970s? Email answers to program at arsenal.co.uk by Monday, February 28th, when we will draw one lucky winner. Dion Gray It is with great sadness that Arsenal Football Club remembers Dion Gray, who sadly passed away on January 6th, 2022, just aged 23. Dion joined the steward team in 2016, alongside his mum Debbie, and was a much-loved team member. Our sincere condolences are with Debbie and their family and friends at this very sad time. Donations can be made in memory of Dion to www.neuroblastoma.org.uk or www.teenagecancertrust.org. Steve Burtonshaw. Everyone at the club was deeply saddened to hear of the passing of our former coach and scout, Steve Burtonshaw, at the age of 86. Steve came from a footballing family and spent all of his playing days with Brighton and Hove Albion until he retired in 1966. After a spell on the coaching staff with the Seagulls, he joined Arsenal as reserve team coach in November 1967. During his time in charge of the reserve team, Steve's sides won the Football Combination twice, the Football Combination Cup and the London FA Challenge Cup. In 1971, he was promoted to first-team coach before leaving the club two years later to join QPR. After spells as manager of Sheffield Wednesday, Everton and QPR, Steve returned to Highbury in 1981 as our chief scout. Then, after Don Howe's departure as manager in March 1986, Steve took charge as caretaker manager for the rest of the season. Under George Graham, Steve returned to his role as Chief Scout and stayed with us until 1996, before taking similar roles at QPR and Manchester City. He retired from football in 2005. Our thoughts are with his family and friends at this time. Notice board. Totalizer, £1,070. Lucas Shafiq, a proud gooner, 
Happy belated 17th birthday. Have a wonderful day. Love, Mum and Dad. Happy belated 60th birthday to my husband, Ray Smith. Enjoy the match today. Come on you Reds, love Lynn. Belated happy 11th birthday to Theo, with love from all the Philip family. Wishing a very happy 18th birthday to Daniel Mackley, a lifelong Arsenal supporter. Love, Mum, Dad, Uncle Nick and all your family. Happy birthday Logan Farrow, at the match today from Leon C with his pa Les. Enjoy your first ever match, James. Hope you have a great day and make lots of memories. Love Mummy, Daddy and Arthur. Happy 11th birthday, Callum. Always our superstar. Love Mum, Dad and Connor. A happy and healthy 70th birthday to lifelong Arsenal fan, Brian and Stephen Yearson. Love from all the family, including your wonderful grandchildren. Michael Devonish, happy 65th birthday to my special husband. Love, Karen. Happy 17th birthday, Rihanna Holmes. Love, Diane, Gavin and Ruby. Happy 60th birthday, Alan Cummins. Guna through and through. Love the Cummins family. Welcome to the Emirates. 13-year-old Guy Armstrong. His favourite player is Bukayo Saka. And we hope you see us win this afternoon. Happy 13th birthday, Nick Perrier. Enjoy your day at the Emirates. Love Mum, Dad and Chris. Happy 12th birthday, Sam Stevens. Our mini Smith Row. We love you lots. Happy 60th birthday, Dad. Kevin Boscher. Love Megan, Mel and Andrew. Happy 50th birthday, Stuart Barry. Enjoy the game from the boys. Arsenal remembers. Gary Hodges, age 48 from Hackney. A lifelong Arsenal fan who passed away suddenly, sadly missed by his family and friends. Anthony Parrish, November 24, 1956 to December 27, 2021 a kind-hearted and loving gunner, as well as a great dad, known to those who knew him at Highbury as Nutty Parish. You will be forever missed. Proper gooner. Dolores Diaz Broughton, reunited with Big John, but sadly leaving behind Juan, Carlos, Ricardo, Juanita, Carmen, Andy, plus many grandkids and great-grandkids. Heaven gained an absolute angel. Papa John Bernard, a passionate and proud fan of the club since 1950, sadly passed away on January 5th, 2022, aged 82. He will be much missed by John, Julia, Sarah Jane, Oliver and Annabelle, as well as his family and friends. Alan Reid, a lifelong Arsenal fan and true gentleman. He is and always will be missed by family and friends, forever in our hearts. Sarah Inman sadly passed away peacefully at home with her husband, Lawrence. Children, Samuel and Gina and family by her side. She will be greatly missed by all with some special memories at both Highbury and the Emirates, with a highlight being in Copenhagen in 1994. Leo Middleton, February 8th, 2015 to December 31st, 2021. Forever Arsenal. Forever football, a life cut short but full of memories, happiness, strength, bravery, and love. Deeply and sorely missed, forever in our hearts. Roy Anthony Danaher, beloved husband and father, a gentle giant 
and True Gunner with a heart of gold, forever in our thoughts, prayers and memories. May he rest peacefully. Sustainability. Red, white and green. Sustainability focus. Arsenal Football Club has a vision to lead the sporting community in a quest to a more sustainable future. And the Match Day programme is taking the lead. Working with Carbon Link in Kenya, this season's issue is offsetting the emissions generated during the programme production process, creating the Arsenal Forest in Africa. Carbon Link has estimated we need to plant 12,500 trees, each absorbing 20 kilograms of carbon dioxide over the next 10 years. The programme is also sponsoring small environmental projects around the club as well as encouraging young fans and staff members to tell us about their green credentials. We are also highlighting our printer's environmental efforts. In addition, in each programme we showcase significant club-wide projects being undertaken as part of our drive to greater sustainability. Bishop's Backing Arsenal's programme print partner, Bishop's Printers, are considered one of the most environmentally conscious printers in the UK. Here we highlight their sustainability credentials. Printers use ink, unsurprisingly, and a lot of it, as well as using more sustainable vegetable-based inks, which we've mentioned in our programmes previously, our printers are also fastidious in ensuring both the plastic and tin containers that house the inks are crushed and collected for recycling. New fans of all ages Mr. Jeffwa Mwaro Jeffwa is one of the more senior members of the society in Bore, though his 87 years didn't stop him joining in the singing and dancing at half-time in the Bore Lions match. Loving his newly acquired Arsenal shirt, Jeffwa proves you're never too old to do things the Arsenal way. The Arsenal Forest is national news. Following the recent delivery of kit to the local Borre Lions football club, our Arsenal Forest project is making a big splash in Kenya and at home. Two national news networks in Kenya ran detailed stories on our project in Bore, highlighting how Arsenal are committed to a sustainable future and the forest scheme being part of that. BBC Wales have also mentioned the Arsenal Forest as part of a news programme featuring our Wales-based sustainability partners, Carbon Link, who are managing our scheme in Wales and do similar work for the Welsh Government on a larger scale. Back in Kenya, it was really the fact that the club kitted out Bore Lions that pushed the project to the front of the news agenda. Local reporters had heard about the project and dropped by to catch the action on video of the Lions playing in their new kit. And the next thing we knew, the team and the project were all over the news. The Lions game in question was against close rivals 11 Hunters and the kits must have made a difference as they won 4-1 despite a number of the Lions team not having boots. There was plenty of skill on show. There was a big game atmosphere too as some of our 60-strong team of nursery workers showed their support for the Lions and the Gunners with a half-time dance. 
they sang Arsenal have come to Bore in their local tribal dialect, Kigiriyama, in a memorable afternoon for the Lions. Program Upcycling Scheme Any programs that we don't sell have traditionally been offered to our community projects as valuable resources. However, we would be more than happy to let supporters get involved in this upcycling if they have a charity, school or community venture that could benefit from old issues and have the means to be able to collect them from the stadium. Please drop us an email to program at arsenal.co.uk outlining where and why you would like to use the old programmes and we'll be in touch. Gunners hitting targets Arsenal are on a high ambition track to net zero. It wasn't that long ago that Arsenal took the step to become the first Premier League football club to sign up to the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. Since we took that step, many other football clubs have followed us by signing up. We have recently further illustrated our commitment to becoming a more sustainable club by agreeing to join the high ambition track of the Sports for Climate Action Framework. We all love sport and hopefully all love our planet. By participating in this initiative, we are taking positive steps to preserve both. So, you are probably asking, what's the point of another thing to sign up to? It's a good question. Where the high ambition track differs from the previous framework is that we have signed up to real measurable targets, which are monitored by the UN. What's more, these targets are hopefully going to have a real impact as all the participants work towards these shared targets and objectives. We have been working towards these targets already. In fact, we are pushing ourselves towards even more challenging targets, such as our desire to drive change. Target 1. We have committed to reducing our emissions by 50% by 2030 and a net zero target of 2040. Target 2. Measure and report. We have been measuring and reporting on our work through various channels and we will continue to do so. Target 3. Plan for reaching net zero emissions. Target 4. Communicate. So here we are. We have recently updated our sustainability page on arsenal.com and we will be ensuring we keep those pages interesting and informative for all our fans. We will hopefully be adding new stories over the coming weeks and months. So please take a look at what your club is doing. Eco Gunners We ask young Arsenal supporters to tell us how they are helping the planet in this issue, Matty, who is nine and from Kent, tells us what he's been doing to help the environment. The first thing I want to tell you is that I'm a massive Arsenal fan, but instead of telling my parents I have to have the new shirt, I borrow my big brothers all the time. It's my favourite example of reusing. Also, I only use reusable bottles for drinking out of. I know how bad it is to only use plastic bottles once, and I'm also trying to eat more and more vegetable-based meals. Eating too much meat is bad for the environment, so it's worth it. Good sensible sustainability steps, Matty. Well done. 
Octopus Energy, our official energy supplier, and who are supporting the club on its sustainability journey, are sending you a cuddly octopus. If you are thinking about the environment, we need to hear from you. Email juniorgunners at arsenal.co.uk now. If we feature you in the programme, our friends at Octopus will send you a cuddly octopus toy too. Grow your own. Carbon Link has already received a number of orders for trees from supporters wishing to add to the Arsenal Forest. Thanks so much for getting involved in this exciting project. We want to expand our 12.5 acre area to make our forest as big as possible. There are three options to purchase trees. 25 trees for £25, 50 for £50, 100 for £100. If you are concerned about your own carbon footprint, this is an excellent way of making a small, sustainable step in the right direction and also doing it in the name of the club you love. And what an excellent gift for an Arsenal fan in your life. Scan the QR code on the programme for more information on our project and details of how to be part of our forest. Staff Support Every issue of the programme we find out what Arsenal staff are doing to become more sustainable. Medical manager Sophie Kurtoys tells us she has made a really interesting change to everyday work communication. Underneath my signature on emails, I have the following message. 16,433 tonnes of carbon a year could be saved if every person in the UK sent one less thank you email a day. This is the equivalent to 81,152 flights from Heathrow to Madrid. Don't worry about sending a thank you. I don't think many people are aware of the impact on the environment of cloud storage. Hopefully this helps awareness. That's fascinating and really important, Sophie. Fantastic. Fan Zone. Arsenal players discuss the influence and inspiration provided by you, the fans. After completing a successful first year at the club, we speak to Martin Odegaard, about his meteoric rise as a young footballer in Norway, life as a teenager at Real Madrid, and writing the next chapter at Arsenal. Martin Odegaard was always destined for a life in football. The son of Hans-Erik Odegaard, who himself had a successful career in the Norwegian league in the 1990s and 2000s, Martin grew up surrounded by the sport, not that he would have had it any other way. Whether it was playing or watching, our number eight has always had a deep love and passion for the game. I've always been a huge football fan, he begins. Ever since I can remember, I always tried to watch basically every game on TV. The Premier League was always by far the biggest league with the most interest in it, so I watched it every single weekend. I used to get together with friends and watch all the games and I loved it. I also went along to the games of my hometown club, so, yes, I always enjoyed watching football. I think the first time I ever went to watch a game in a stadium was one of my dad's games, he continues. He was playing in the top division in Norway, and I was quite young at the time, maybe five or six years old, but I remember going to those games to watch him. 
I was born and grew up in Drammen, but he actually moved to a new club when I was really young, so I don't remember him playing much for the club in Drammen. He moved to a team called Sanderfjord, and I would go and watch him there. It was about an hour from home. It's perhaps not surprising, then, that Martin is one of football's true early starters. Here's a quick recap of the achievements he racked up as a teenager in Norway. When he was 13, he played for the Stromgotset first team in a friendly, and the following year represented the reserves in senior football. Then, aged 15 and 118 days, he became the youngest ever player to appear in Norway's top flight when he made his debut in April 2014. In May, he broke the league record for the youngest goalscorer, and two months later he made his debut in the Champions League at the qualifying stage. By this time, he had already represented the national team at under-15, under-16 and under-17 levels, and in August of 2014, he would become his country's youngest ever full international. He was just 15 years and 253 days old when he played the full 90 minutes of a friendly at home to the United Arab Emirates. I was basically playing football or watching football my whole life when I was growing up, Martin, who turned 23 in December, says. There was never really one moment where I thought, I want to be a footballer. My parents have told me from the moment I could walk, I started to kick a ball in the garden at home. So I don't remember a time that I haven't had an interest in football. My father played as well, of course, so it was always around me. Then, growing up, all my friends played as well. We all had the same interests, so it was just natural that I started playing too. What also appeared to be natural was the incredible gift he displayed so soon after starting out. It was clear that Norwegian football, and specifically Stromgotset, had a prodigy on their hands. He was going to have to get used to the increased attention and interest, but, as he explains, it never felt out of the ordinary to him. When I started playing at youth level, there were not too many people watching those games. We don't play in stadiums or anything, it's just a few parents and others standing around the pitch. But I played my first game for the first team when I was 15, so I was playing in front of crowds from that age. Those are the first ones I really remember. Apart from that, I played some games for the national team at youth level, but there isn't really a game that stands out as having a large crowd or loads of people being there before playing first-team football. That was soon to change, but then again, signing for arguably the world's most famous club, Real Madrid, at the age of 16 will have that effect. Again, however, the inevitable rise in profile after stepping up from the Norwegian elite Serien to Spain's La Liga is something that Martin took in his stride. I wouldn't say it was a shock, but yes, it was definitely a big change, he says. The stadium at Stromgotset held about 7,000 people. Then all of a sudden, you are at the Bernabeu in Madrid with 80,000 people there. So, it was a big change, but I didn't feel like it was too much at any point. Honestly, I just enjoyed it. I love playing in front of people, and I've always thought the fans are so important to help you on the pitch to help the team, and to give energy. So I've always enjoyed it. I never felt it was a massive change from what I had already known. There is a hint of relief in his voice, though, when he reveals he was spared one of the traditions that high-profile signings to Madrid have to participate in, being paraded before the media and fans inside the stadium while showing off your ball skills. 
no, I didn't have to do that, he grins. Although I was training with the first team, I wasn't 100% a first team player when I joined. I played games for the second team at that time. I had a presentation, but it was only in front of the press and a few pictures, so I didn't have to go out in front of all the fans and do the ball juggling. The fans were out in force when he made his debut, though. Having spent his first season in the Spanish capital, playing for Zinedine Zidane's Real Madrid Castilla, essentially second-string side, he finally got to appear for the first team on the final day of the 2014-15 campaign. Real Madrid's last game of the season was at home to Getafe, and with the hosts 5-3 up just before the hour mark, Martin was summoned by Carlo Ancelotti. When he entered the pitch, he broke the club record as their youngest ever La Liga player, aged 16 and 157 days. They went on to win 7-3. Yes, I replaced Ronaldo, he confirms. It was the last game of the season, I remember, and I had been waiting for my debut for a long time. I was really eager to play, and before the game they had told me I would come on. But then, during the game, we had two injuries, so we had already used two subs, and I was nervous that I wasn't going to get my chance. But then they told me to warm up, and I came on. The reception from the fans was good, and I think they were quite interested to see me play finally as well, so I remember the reception was good when I came on. I came on for Ronaldo, so it was all a bit unreal. I was 16 and replacing the best player in the world at that time. It was all a bit crazy, but when you are that young, I didn't really think too much about it, or thought that it was anything different. It's only now, looking back, that I realise how special it was, and coming on for Ronaldo made my debut even more special. When you are in that moment, though, you just live it and enjoy it. Rather than be overawed by the prospect of playing in one of the world's great stadiums, Martin says it inspired him. It takes a bit of getting used to, because it's harder to hear what your teammates are saying, to communicate and things like that. That was quite a big thing at first, but still, I don't remember thinking there was anything negative or more difficult about playing to a huge crowd. I thought it was cool, I liked it, and I've always liked feeling that presence from the fans. Playing in an empty stadium is just terrible, because you don't get that adrenaline and that feeling of pressure, which I've always found to be a positive pressure. I like that pressure of having to perform for people, of having them there. I need it. For the next three or four seasons, Martin got the bulk of his experience while playing on loan, first with Herenveen and Vitesse in the Netherlands, then Real Sociedad back in La Liga, before he joined the Gunners, also initially on loan, in January 2021. Those early years gave him the chance to sample different styles of the game and play in front of different fan bases. So, is there anywhere in the world that he has particularly enjoyed playing due to the atmosphere they created? I've played for a few clubs in different countries too and have been lucky enough to play for some good fans, he explains. I enjoy playing here especially with our fans in the stadium. I enjoyed it in Spain as well. At Real Sociedad, the fans were brilliant as well. And of course, Madrid is a very special place to play. But as for the teams I've played against, I think Anfield has a very good atmosphere. They bring a lot of energy to their side. And of the places I've played here in England, that's the one I've been most impressed, of places away from the Emirates. I'm lucky enough to have played at a lot of good stadiums. It's difficult to say which is the best in terms of atmosphere.
The Premier League generally, though, is certainly finding favour with Martin. Nominated for the Premier League Player of the Month award for December, a year after making his Gunners debut, he is established in the league, and he says the fans are a big part of that. The atmosphere in England is different to anywhere else I've played, he states. I love the passion from the fans here, how much they care about football and their own team, and also the connection they have with the club. There are lots of traditions here in English football that I love, and I think it's a great place to play. The first 18 of his games of his Gunners career were all played behind closed doors. While it's true that sometimes it can be more difficult in stadiums with a big atmosphere, that's the good thing about playing at home. You know the fans will support you, give you energy and make it harder for the other team. So, for sure, it can be more difficult playing away when the fans are pushing for their team, whistling you and all that kind of thing. It can affect you in the game, but at the same time it's something I really like about football. The fans are such a big part of the sport. You feel that energy when you are playing the game, and that's really cool. There's nothing like it when you feel that backing from your own fans. Martin says he's felt that connection with the Arsenal fans from the moment he joined last January. In fact, he was building a bond before he even put pen to paper. I've met plenty of fans when I've been out to eat or things like that, he says. It's easy to see the interest people have and that they really, really care about the team. It's probably more on social media, though, than in public. Arsenal are pretty big on social media. I get lots of messages, especially when I was about to sign here. The fans were really pushing for me to come. They were messaging me all the time, messaging my family and everything. It was something new to me. Sometimes it can be a bit much, but in general, I think it just shows the passion they have and how much they care. And now he's part of the Arsenal family. Sharing in that passion and enjoying life in London, Martin is settled and ready to continue fulfilling that huge promise he first showed as a kid back in Drammen. I love London life generally, he beams. There's lots to do, but it's also close to home, so it's easy for me to travel to see my family or to have them visit me. I love it. When you are a footballer, there is not much difference in your daily life, whatever club you are at because everyone has the same routines and schedules. So it's the stuff off the pitch that makes the difference, and it's so nice to be in London with plenty of places to go and things to do. I definitely feel at home here. Signing off for six years. When football went on hold. Arsenal's 2-0 win over Brentford on May 6th, 1939 turned out to be the last first-class match either team would play for six Warfield years. Given the club's respective fortunes in the previous campaign, the 1938-39 season was slightly anticlimactic for both Arsenal and Brentford. George Allison's Gunners had pipped Wolverhampton Wanderers to the Division 1 title by a single point in the tightest races on record in May 38. Praise for Arsenal had been grudging. The Lancashire Evening Post said Arsenal found themselves once more in possession of the championship, not so much by virtue of their old mastery and arts, as by late-season failure of Wolves, whose football on the whole was far more worthy of honour. The gentlemen of the press were far kinder towards Brentford, promoted to the top flight for the first time in 1934, 
For the second season running, they finished in sixth place, completing a league double over Arsenal in the process. Under manager Harry Curtis, the Bees extended terracing at Griffin Park to raise the capacity to 40,000, and the fans saw some pulsating action. Between October 37 and March 38, Brentford sat on top of the table. Scottish forward David McCulloch, who'd cost Brentford a hefty £6,000, scored goals aplenty, and inside forward Billy Scott was capped by England. By the start of the 1938-39 campaign, battle fatigue had set in for both teams. Injuries and loss of form meant that Gunnar Stalwarts, George Mayle, Ted Drake and Cliff Baston's effectiveness was drastically reduced and only Drake, with 14 league goals, reached double figures for Arsenal in the 38-39 season. Their 55-goal haul was 22 down on the previous season. Arsenal were never realistically in the hunt for honours, despite an encouraging 2-0 win over Portsmouth on the opening day of the season, in front of an expectant 54,940 crowd. English football's record signing Bryn Jones found the net that day, and after he'd grabbed an equaliser in the following match against Huddersfield Town at Leeds Road. The £14,000 spent by Arsenal in the close season on Wallstar appeared to have been well spent. It was a false dawn. The slender Jones laboured under the pressure of the hefty price tag and the crowd expecting much from the new boy grew impatient as he failed to maintain his early season form. Jones was rested by Allison in order that the Welshman could regain his mojo. With 33,000 turning up to see him in the reserves, Allison remained a staunch defender of Jones, arguing his chief asset was the holding together of the line and making of openings for the more vigorous of his teammates. Jones never looked comfortable, and Arsenal's season was uncharacteristically low-key in a decade which had brought so much silverware to Highbury. Brentford's form slumped alarmingly in the 38-39 season, with several players, including the popular David McCulloch, sold in order to balance the books. The Bees won six matches between February and April to haul themselves clear of relegation, and Arsenal also rallied in April and May, winning five out of their final six games. Newspapers were rather more concerned with the events in Europe, as Hitler's Germany, having taken the Sudetenland, in 1938, then dismembered the rest of Czechoslovakia the following year. It was impossible to ignore the situation in Europe, Ted Drake later explained, and the fact that Europe was edging towards war once again. In the final game of that 38-39 season, Arsenal faced Brentford at Highbury and won 2-0. In a match that became part of cinematic history, in 1938, George Allison was approached by G&S Films, to see if he was willing to allow the production company to come to Highbury to film the Arsenal Stadium mystery. Allison virtually bit GNS's hands off, especially when he realised that Inspector Slade, who finally cracks the case, was to be played by his old friend Leslie Banks. Seven Arsenal players, including Ted Drake, volunteered to take part and were paid £250 for five weeks of filming. Not bad in an era of the £8 per week maximum wage for footballers. The story was based around a mythical friendly between Arsenal and the Trojans. One of the Trojans players is poisoned at half-time, 
and collapses and dies on the pitch. The culprit, as it turns out, is the Trojans' manager. Intercepts between the unfolding drama is the bona fide football action. Brentford sportingly wore an unfamiliar black and white strip in order to simulate the Trojans. Alf Kirchens and Ted Drake's goals, which gave Arsenal a 2-0 win, are therefore preserved on film. A rare thing indeed for the 30s. Several of the scenes are shot within the marble halls and Highbury's dressing rooms and the rest at Elstree Studios. George Allison's acting is a bit on the wooden side but poor Bryn Jones was unable to escape the burden of his transfer fee, even on celluloid. He cost as much as the war, claimed the voice which introduces the Arsenal players. The Arsenal Stadium mystery was only a moderate box office success in London. Perhaps local residents had other things on their minds than visits to the cinema. George Mail recalls, Behind the scenes in the film, we know the good times were coming to an end. Many of us were already considering our options with regards to the imminent outbreak of the war. We knew that our playing careers would be placed on hold. We were concerned about our families and scared to death about what might happen to our children. The papers were already suggesting the war could be a long one. And if it was, who's to say that our careers wouldn't be over? Or whether we'd return at all? It was a sad and difficult time for the Arsenal team, as it was for everyone in the country. Arsenal began the 1939-40 season brightly, securing five points from a possible six. But with the outbreak of war in September, the games were expunged from the record. Arsenal's 2-0 win over London rivals Brentford, now part of celluloid legend, was the team's last first-class game for six years. The year, 1939 in football. Division 1 champions, Everton. Top goalscorer, Tommy Lawton, Everton, 35. FA Cup winners, Portsmouth. Division 2 champions, Blackburn Rovers. 1939, descent into war. January 20th, leader of Germany's Nazi party, Adolf Hitler, declares his intention to exterminate all European Jews. March 31st, Britain and France agree to support Poland in the event of a German invasion. April 8th, under fascist leader Benito Mussolini, Italy seizes Albania. May 4th, Japanese PM Kirosho Hirayama declares Japan will support Germany and Italy in the event of an attack. July 23rd, Indian activist Gandhi writes to Adolf Hitler urging him to prevent a war that will reduce humanity to a savage state. August 2nd, Albert Einstein corresponds with President Franklin Roosevelt about using uranium to develop the atomic bomb. September 1st, Germany invades Poland using Blitzkrieg or Lightning War by attacking the free city of Danzig. September 3rd, Britain declares war on Germany. France shortly follows, as do Australia, New Zealand, South Africa and Canada. September 27th, after 19 days of resistance and German Luftwaffe strikes with firebombs, Warsaw surrenders to the Germans. Community Voice
Arsenal in the community engages more than 5,000 participants every week. Each issue, we hear about one of our projects from their perspective. Quevin is 19 years old and is currently volunteering on our Premier League kick session at Woodbury Down, which involves delivering sessions to our younger participants, supporting social action projects and supervising teams at local tournaments. It all started in 2016 when I was invited by a friend of mine to join and play football. As the years have passed with Arsenal Community, I was drawn toward coaching and took on the role of being a voluntary coach. What I'm doing now wasn't planned. It only happened because I was inspired by the work and support within the community team. My intention was to make it as a pro footballer, but being a coach is just as good. At the moment, I'm learning how to become a steward, which is also something to do with Arsenal. I'm currently working towards my Level 2 stewarding course, in addition to obtaining my first aid course. First time I joined being a voluntary coach, I felt that it was too much and complicated, but it turns out to be simple and fun. If I've got support, and also make myself available to support others, then it's easy. The coaches really use their experience and abilities to make it fun, and that's why I keep attending, because I enjoy the environment. At the moment, I'm supporting Arsenal staff Ashley and Bradley with coaching at Woodbury Down, and the experience is great. The kids seem to be enjoying the sessions, many jokes are shared, and good football is being played. I'm the person that I am now because Ashley saw me as a young leader and offered me the opportunity. I've learned many things like how to coach and how to referee games, and I'm able to manage a team because of that bond that was made within the voluntary coaching. I've achieved first aid qualifications and attended various workshops. Before I attended, I was a shy person, but now I can get along with people and am able to interact. It's nice to know that many staff members and players trust me. Being a part of Arsenal to me means being very respectful and responsible, because I'm representing the club to members of the public. It also makes me feel comfortable and trusted, because I know there's always a staff member that can support me in any sort of situation. The environment makes me more willing to learn more new skills within the club. From experience, my advice to others if they get the opportunity to join a programme is, do it. Foundation Voice. The work of the Arsenal Foundation and the partners initiative it supports have touched the lives of a great number of people in a variety of ways. Funding from the Arsenal Foundation helped Ambitious Academy, a community mentoring and education programme based at the Elthorne Estate, make a film called Chance the Movie. Actor Daniel Phelan, 24, tells us about it. I play the main character, Dominic, in Chance the Movie, a film about knife crime that aims to raise awareness of the issue. Dominic has been brought up in a care home and has ambitions to become a professional footballer but is challenged by things that happen in his life on an estate. Like many of his friends, Dominic is a victim of knife crime, and the hope is that the film shows people that this is really happening, and that we need to come together to change things for the better. Everything that happens in the film is happening in real life too. I've been acting for four years, but this was my first lead role. I found out about the film online, and I was inspired by Shorden Smith, who was the film's producer and is the founder of Ambitious Academy. Like the name says, he's a very ambitious individual and encourages a lot of young people to strive for greatness. 
So when I was invited to the casting, I went along and I was really happy to land the role. There's a lot to being an actor and you don't just turn up on set and perform. There's learning your lines, getting into character and this is probably the worst thing, making early starts for filming. The most difficult thing for me though was crying on cue because I'd never done that before but I worked at it. Took the time to really focus and managed to pull it off, convincingly I think. The film is true to real life because knife crime is a real issue in London. I know people have been stabbed and hopefully the film inspires the younger generation into doing something creative and stepping away from this lifestyle. If you have a passion for something, surround yourself with the right people and just stick at it. The goal for me is to become a successful actor. I've set yearly goals and so far I've been smashing them. I like to think I'm on the right path and I have a lot of good people around me. Shorten has been a real inspiration and has helped mentor me in real life as well. He has taught me a lot about life and I will pay him back one day. The Arsenal Foundation grant was a big help to Shorten and James Vokuten, the writer and director, in paying for equipment and locations as well as food and drink for cast members. I think it's amazing that football clubs help the community. A lot of people will turn a blind eye to projects like this, but when the good people in the world are willing to help those around them, we can create greatness. Academy, Young Gun, Lino Sousa. The Basics, Name, Lino Sousa. Born, January 19th, 2005, Portugal. Joined Arsenal, January 2022. Height and weight, 5 foot 11 inches, 68 kilograms. Position, left back. School, Sandwell Academy, West Midlands. My earliest memory of football growing up was when I lived in Portugal. I was about five or six and started playing futsal three or four times every week after school, just for fun. It was nothing too serious. I used to watch football growing up and played FIFA on my PlayStation, but in terms of playing, it was always futsal before football. It's actually quite common for kids growing up in Portugal to play futsal. An older cousin of mine used to play futsal for Benfica, and I looked up to him. I moved from Lisbon to Wolverhampton when I was eight in 2013, and it was my uncle who really pushed my mum to get me to a Sunday league club. It's actually a funny story. He saw me kick a can when I was just walking down the street and saw something in the technique and the way I kicked it. He told my mum and then he got me to a Sunday league club in Birmingham called Ashfire FC, but now it's called Edgbaston Eagles. I played there for something like eight months, but then we couldn't fill in the forms for me to play in the next season because we were away on holiday. Then I was offered a trial at West Brom when I was nine. They thought I was good enough and that's how it all started. The first time I went on trial there was a bit of a disaster. On the first day, I wore metal studs because I didn't know we were playing on AstroTurf. One of the kids snitched on me and I had to sit out for a bit because I couldn't train with metal studs on the Astro. When I was in the under-10s at West Brom, I played with the under-12s, but that was just by chance. We were in at the same time as them, playing against the same team, and I was just told to play with the under-12s, but I didn't really understand what was going on. I just thought. These lads look a bit taller than me. I've always been level-headed and humble. I've never thought I was better than anyone else, 
but I was always told from a young age that I was going to go far and had potential. As a kid, you don't really listen to it, though. It's just one of those things that goes in one ear and out the other. It's nice to hear those things, but when you dwell on it, that's when you become big-headed, and I'm not like that. I came from humble beginnings. I was 16 when I started a friendly against Watford for the under-23s. I played the whole game and did really well. That's when it opened a few eyes to people at West Brom that I could play. I couldn't really train with the under-23s because I was still in school, so I think I only trained with them maybe once during the week. But the next thing I know, I got told I was travelling down to Newcastle to play with them. I was told I was starting, but I wasn't really nervous. I was excited. It was so surreal because I was playing with all the lads who, when I was in the under-10s, they were in the under-16s. It was mad being on the same pitch as them, but then you switch into game mode and I did well. I first heard about the Arsenal move in July or August, the back end of last season. But firstly, it's just interest, so you don't really think anything of it. Then things just happened and moved forward. Everything became more real and it was really exciting. My family and I spent hours and hours talking about the pros and cons of a move and what was best for me. But at the end of the day, Arsenal is Arsenal. There's a pathway there to the first team. You can see it. A lot of players have done it. Obviously, it's not an easy thing to do, but you've got to back yourself. It was crazy seeing how the move spread on social media. My phone was dead silent for a couple of months because I wasn't playing. Nobody was tagging me. I wasn't posting anything and then out of nowhere, it just exploded. It was crazy. I had friends sending me things, my family members and people from abroad. I couldn't say a word or repost it. It wasn't scary, but it was just a bit of a shock. It became serious. It's a really nice feeling to see all the posts from fans, but my mum always reminds me to not get caught up in the social media buzz because your football has got to do the talking. Sometimes I think to myself about where I've come from to where I am now, and it's crazy. To say that I'm an Arsenal player is a very surreal feeling, and I take pride in that. It's not something I take lightly because now it's not just my family that I'm representing. I'm representing Arsenal Football Club. This is the life that I chose, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here, and I just want to take my chance, impress, and do what I do best on the pitch. Around the Academy. Action Roundup. Since our last matchday programme, the Gunners under-21s have agonisedly departed from the EFL Papa John's Trophy at the quarter-final stage, losing 1-0 to an 82nd-minute goal against Wigan Athletic at the JJB Stadium. The under-23s have had a mixed spell. A 1-1 draw at Derby was notable for a couple of outstanding saves from Ovi Ejeri, including one from the penalty spot with Ben Cottrell, successful with his penalty for the Gunners. We then beat Chelsea 3-1 with Zach Orr's goal, followed by superb strikes from Salah Eddin Alad Mhand and Omari Hutchinson. In the under-23s Premier League Cup, Kevin Betsy's team went down to a disappointing 4-1 defeat at West Brom, but they only needed to avoid defeat by four or more to progress to the next stage, so Hutchinson's goal proved crucial. The under-18s had a superb result last month, beating Chelsea 4-0 with goals from Charles Sago Jr., Kion Edwards, Bradley Ibrahim and Amario Kazuo Dubri. The superb performance was also notable for a debut for today's young gun, Lino Sosa. Leicester City were a tougher nut to crack, but Kion Edwards earned us a point 
with the second half equaliser. We then lost 2-1 at Stoke to exit the under-18 Premier League Cup. Loan Roundup A number of our young gunners were sent out on loan and others recalled during the January transfer window. Tim Akinola joined Dundee United in the Scottish Premiership on loan for the remainder of the season. Our defensive midfielder had been a regular for Kevin Betsy's under-23 side this campaign, making 11 appearances in the Premier League too. Tim made his debut on February 5th versus St Johnston. Carl Hine will spend the rest of the season on loan in the Championship with Reading. Our goalkeeper is already a full Estonian international, having made 12 appearances for his country and was named Estonian Young Player of the Year last December. Carl has already played twice for the Royals. Brooke Norton Cuffey was loaned to Lincoln City for the remainder of the season. A promising England youth international, our right-back made 10 appearances for Kevin Betsy's side this season and has already featured six times for the Imps in League One, including two man-of-the-match performances against Wickham and Doncaster Rovers. Matthew Smith continues his season-long loan at Doncaster and is a mainstay of Gary McSheffrey's team, having played 36 games for them, including against Lincoln on Tuesday night. Jordan O.C. Tutu joined League One side Rotherham United on loan until the end of the season. The attacking right wing-back spent the first half of the season with Nottingham Forest, where injury restricted him to just four games. Geordie made his debut for the Millers in their win over Sheffield Wednesday last weekend. Ryan Alabiosu joined League One Crew Alexander on loan for the remainder of the campaign. Our 20-year-old defender has taken real strides in his development this season and has trained regularly with the first team. He was in our matchday squad for the Premier League match against Burnley. Ryan has already played three times for the Alex. Jordan McAneff was loaned to Shelbourne FC. Our midfielder saw his game time heavily restricted this season due to injury. Jordan joins the League of Ireland Premier Division until the end of June. The League of Ireland season starts this weekend. Nikolai Muller joined Dutch Etsy division side Den Bosch on loan for the remainder of the season. The 19-year-old forward returned from a loan spell with German 3 league side FC Victoria Clone, where he made 13 appearances, scoring three goals. The Swede has now played twice for Den Bosch. Harry Clark was recalled from his loan with Ross County, before being loaned out immediately back to the Scottish Premier League with Hibernian for the rest of the season, but is currently recovering from injury. Our versatile midfielder was a regular for Ross County, making 17 appearances and scoring three goals. Tyrese John-Jules made 12 appearances for Blackpool before being recalled in January. Our 21-year-old striker has since linked up with League One side Sheffield Wednesday for the rest of the season, making his debut against Ipswich at the end of January. Miguel Aziz was recalled from his loan at Portsmouth and has rejoined our under-23 setup. Our midfielder made 13 appearances with the League One club, scoring two goals. Red and white rivals Marcelo Flores and Ilian Quesada Thorn came face-to-face during the last youth international break as Mexico under-20 hosts Costa Rica under-20s for two friendly matches. It was Flores' Mexico who came out on top on both occasions, beating Costa Rica 2-0 and 2-1 
in the two closely contested behind closed doors matches. The fixtures were arranged in preparation for this summer's under 20 CONCACAF Championship. Arsenal Women News and reports from England's most successful women's football team. Title races heats up. Arsenal played against three of our closest challengers in the FA Women's Super League since our last programme, and recorded draws in all three. Last month, Tobin Heath scored a dramatic injury-time equaliser to grab a point away to Manchester City in a 1-1 draw. It also ended a run of three defeats for Jonas Eideval's side. Then, after a 2-1 home win over Brighton, we faced Manchester United and Chelsea in the space of a week. First up was United at Meadow Park, and again we needed a late equaliser to secure a 1-1 draw. This time it was new Swedish striker Stina Blackstenius who came off the bench to score on 79 minutes. Blackstenius, celebrating her 26th birthday on the day, raced on to a magnificent Viviane Maydima pass from her own half before slotting home. United had led from the 10th minute, then had a numerical advantage, too, when Katie McCabe was sent off after 75 minutes. McCabe was therefore suspended for the trip to King's Meadow to take on Chelsea on Friday, February 11th. The Gunners went into the game two points clear of the champions at the top, and in a game of high quality, the two heavyweights could not be separated. There were plenty of goal-scoring chances during the 90 minutes, and Arsenal came so close to an injury-time winner following a goal-mouth scramble. Afterwards, Idaval said, It is one of the big things we talked about, being better on the ball against those top teams. Chelsea tried to press us high at moments, but we played through that pressure. That was really pleasing to see. It means we are still two points clear at the top, though Chelsea have a game in hand. The Gunners have eight games remaining, but have played Manchester City and Chelsea both home and away now. Leah takes the armband. Leah Williamson is captaining England this week in the inaugural Arnold Clark Cup. The 24-year-old defender previously captained her country earlier this season and manager Serena Weichmann has once again given her the armband, with Steph Houghton missing through injury. England played Canada on Thursday night, result not known at press time, and take on Spain tomorrow, 3.15pm at Carrow Road. They finish against Germany on Wednesday at 2.30pm at Molyneux. Lot Vuben Moy, Jordan Nobbs, Beth Mead and Nikita Paris are also in the squad. Up and running in the Cup Our 2022 Women's FA Cup campaign got underway at the end of January with a 1-0 home win over London City Lionesses. Last season's FA Cup final was moved to this season following Covid delays, so we had an early chance to start putting the disappointment of that Wembley defeat to Chelsea back in December out of the system. Viviane Maidema scored the only goal of the game in the fourth round win over the Lionesses, finishing coolly with her left foot inside the area at the end of the first half. 
As we go looking for a record-extending 15th win in the competition, we have been drawn away to Liverpool in the fifth round on Sunday, February 27th. Kickoff is at 12pm. Liverpool are currently 10 points clear at the top of the championship table. Visitors, Brentford. Formed 1889, nicknamed the Bees, Chairman Cliff Crown. Stadium, Brentford Community Stadium. Honours, Second Division Champions 1934-35, Third Division Champions 91-92, Fourth Division Champions 62-63, League Two Champions 98-99 and 08-09, Championship Playoff Winners 2021. Brentford's first season in the top flight of English football for 75 years got off to a stunning start when they beat Arsenal 2-0 on the opening night of the campaign at their newly constructed Brentford Community Stadium. But six months on, the mood has changed somewhat, as Thomas Frank's side have stumbled into a poor run of form that has seen them lose seven of their last nine league games and also go out of the FA Cup. Joy was unconfined at the club last May when the Bees beat Swansea 2-0 in the Championship playoff final to reach the Premier League for the first time. Promotion arrived a season after they had lost the same fixture to local rivals Fulham and concluded a seven-year stretch in the Championship. For most of their 132-year existence, Brentford have been in the third or fourth tiers, so this is unquestionably a golden period in their history. Having exited the FA Cup two weeks ago with a 4-1 defeat at Everton, after going out of the Carabao Cup with a 2-0 home loss to Chelsea in the December quarter-final, Brentford's eggs are all now in the Premier League basket, and they need to start picking up points sooner rather than later if they are to avoid slipping into relegation trouble. The Bees go into today's game with 24 points from 25 matches in 14th place. That's seven points clear of the drop zone, but all six teams below them have played fewer matches. Indeed, many of their rivals have more than one game in hand on Brentford, whose nil-nil draw at home to Crystal Palace last weekend ended a six-game losing run. Brentford claimed away wins at Wolves 2-0 and West Ham 2-1 early in the campaign, but they have not won on the road in the league since October 3rd, losing six of their eight encounters since, including the last four. After today's fixture, they have three huge games that could shape their season at home to Newcastle and Burnley, with a trip to Norwich in between. It promises to be a tense few weeks for the Premier League newcomers. Between the posts, David Rea, goalkeeper. Born Barcelona, Spain, 15th and 9th, 95. Previously at Blackburn and Southport on a loan. A Spanish goalkeeper who spent his entire professional career in England, David has been Brentford's first choice between the posts since he arrived from Blackburn Rovers in July 2019 for a reported three million fee. A key member of last season's promotion-winning side, he kept a clean sheet on his Premier League debut against Arsenal, but suffered a serious knee injury against Leicester in October and has only recently returned to the action, displacing his compatriot Alvaro Fernandez. The skipper, Pontus Janssen, defender. Born Arlov, Sweden, 13-91. Previously at Malmo, IFK Malmo, Torino and Leeds. Signed from Leeds in the summer of 2019, 
Pontus was appointed as Brentford captain soon afterwards and skippered the side to last May's historic championship playoff win against Swansea at Wembley. A former Sweden international who won 27 caps for his country between 2012 and 2020, he has started all 25 of the B's Premier League games this term as the central pillar in their back three, with Christopher Ayer and Ethan Pinnock his first choice defensive partners. The pivot, Christian Norgard, midfielder. Born Copenhagen, Denmark, 10-3-94, previously Lingby, Hamburg, Bronby and Fiorentina. Denmark international and Euro 2020 semi-finalist Christian reunited with his former Bronby boss Thomas Frank when he left Italian club Fiorentina for Brentford in May 2019. A holding midfielder, he has had an outstanding debut season with the Bees, but an injury truncated second. A goal scorer against Arsenal on his Premier League debut, he has not been on target again since, but has missed just one league game all season and signed a new contract in December. The schema, Vitali Janelt, midfielder. Born Hamburg, Germany, 10-5-98, previously at Leipzig and Bochum. A former Germany youth international who helped his country to victory in last summer's European Under-21 Championship, Vitali joined Brentford in October 2020 from Bochum and enjoyed a superb debut campaign in England as he helped the Bees to promotion, starting 41 championship games. Although injury has punctuated the 23-year-old midfielder's Premier League campaign, he appears to be one of the first names on Thomas Frank's team sheet when fit and has scored twice against Liverpool and Southampton in 21-22. On the right, Sergi Canos, wing-back. Born Nules, Spain, 2-2-97. Previously Liverpool, Brentford, Lone and Norwich. One of Barcelona's academy, Sergi joined Liverpool at 16 and made one appearance for the senior side before going on loan to Brentford and eventually signing permanently for the Bees five years ago following an ill-fated six-month sojourn at Norwich. The tricky right wing-back enjoyed a fabulous 2021 campaign, scoring nine goals in 55 matches and struck the club's first Premier League goal in the opening night 2-0 win at home to Arsenal back in August. On the left, Rico Henry, wing-back. Born Birmingham, 8-7-97. Previously, Walsall. One of the longest-serving players on Brentford's books, Rico is now in his sixth season with the West Londoners. He missed most of the second half of last term's promotion-winning campaign through injury, but has returned this season to his regular spot on the team's left wing-back. Pacey and productive, the 24-year-old Brummie scored in back-to-back Premier League fixtures against Norwich and Newcastle in November, thereby doubling his all-time goal output for the club. The goal machine, Ivan Tony, forward. Born Northampton, 16396. Previously Northampton, Newcastle, Barnsley, Loan, Shrewsbury, Loan, Scunthorpe, Loan, Wigan, Loan, Scunthorpe, Loan, Peterborough. A relatively late developer, Ivan has hit the headlines repeatedly in the past few seasons, Firstly at Peterborough, where he scored 40 League One goals in two campaigns, then in his debut season with Brentford, where he set a new championship record with 31 goals in the Bees' promotion-winning campaign. He has struck eight times this season, including in three successive games, before missing the recent matches against Manchester City and Crystal Palace with a calf injury. The Renaissance Man, Christian Eriksen, midfielder. Born Middelfart, Denmark 14 92 
Previously, Ajax, Tottenham, Inter Milan. The footballing world and beyond held its breath last summer when Christian suffered cardiac arrest in Denmark's opening game of Euro 2020. Brought back to life by on-field medics, it seemed inconceivable then that the former Ajax, Tottenham and Inter schemer could ever return to playing top-grade football. However, the wonders of modern medicine have enabled him to revive his career with Brentford, who signed him in January. Whether he makes his long-awaited return to action today remains to be seen, but it will be wonderful to have him back. Scouting Report It seems a long time since Brentford defeated Arsenal on the opening day. Thomas Frank's side were excellent in that 2-0 win, showing great quality in terms of pressing and counter-attacking, and overwhelming Arsenal at set pieces. Brentford have struggled in recent weeks, collecting just four points from their last nine matches and haven't won on the road since early October. Still, they remain tough opponents and have performed excellently against Manchester United and Chelsea in harsh defeats. The return of goalkeeper David Raya is a huge boost to Frank, although he did make an uncharacteristic error in possession for Kevin De Bruyne's goal in a recent 2-0 loss to Manchester City. That's the second time in recent weeks that Brentford's goalkeeper has let them down in this respect. During Raya's absence, Stand-in Alvaro Fernandes also played his way into trouble to allow Liverpool's Takumi Minamino to score in a 3-0 loss at Anfield. Frank remains committed to a three-man defence, with captain Pontus Janssen in the centre and the most formidable in the air. Left-sided Ethan Pennock and right-sided Christopher Ayer spread wide and often hit long balls into the channels. Brentford's wing-backs can cause serious problems. Sergi Canos was excellent in the reverse fixture and can check inside to cause problems from the corner of the box. He's also been used up front on occasion. On the other flank, Rico Henry's return from injury has improved Brentford's level of threat down the left. He's excellent at timing his runs to arrive at the right time at the far post to offer a goal threat. In midfield, Christian Norgard has adapted to the Premier League as impressively as any Brentford player. No player in the division has made more tackles than the Dane who is also impressive in possession, spreading play well and sometimes playing dangerous through balls for the forwards. Frank has various options for the other two midfield slots. Vitali Janelt is an effective ball winner, Frank Onyeka offers energy, Matthias Jensen is more of a patient passer, while Shandon Baptiste can surge forward in possession. Up front, Brentford depend upon speed in behind the opposition. Ivan Tony hit a record number of goals in last season's championship and was excellent in the left channel on the opening day, although it's Brian Mbumo who has arguably proved more effective in the Premier League, constantly running in behind. He's Brentford's top league goalscorer with three, though is unfortunate not to have scored more, having hit the woodwork more than anyone else in the division. Johan Wisser and Saman Godos, who both feel like wingers, are also used in attack. Such is the emphasis upon running in behind. Match action. Arsenal versus Burnley. Nil-nil. Sunday, January 23rd, Emirates Stadium. Timeline. 18th minute. Lacazette shoots wide after a good run. 45th minute. Saka shoots wide after a fine team move. 60th minute. Odegaard's free kick is just over. 65th minute. 
Lacazette pokes wide after a great Smith Rowe run. Talking heads, Mikel Arteta. We have to find a way to win these games if you want to be fighting with the top teams. We didn't start the game well enough, not quick enough. Everything was a bit leggy and slow. It's true in the first half we picked it up in the last 15-20 minutes and we came out in the second half really strong and we had a different kind of intention. But at the end we didn't show enough quality in those last 20 metres and in the box to win the match. Aaron Ramsdale We didn't really take the game to them. I'll give credit to Burnley, they defended well. We put balls in the box and that's meat and drink to Burnley so it's a difficult one. It's definitely a missed opportunity for three points and to gain places back in the league, but I'll take the positive of a clean sheet with the defending of the whole team. But definitely a frustrating day. Facts We've lost just one of our last 19 league games against Burnley. This is the first time since 1995 that we failed to win any of our first five games in the calendar year. Burnley faced 20 shots, the most they've faced in a Premier League game without conceding since May 2021. Match action. Premier League, Thursday, February 10th, 2022. 7.45pm, Molyneux. Wolverhampton Wanderers nil, Arsenal 1. Timeline, 25. Gabriel scores from close range at a corner, to put us ahead. 69. Martinelli is dismissed after picking up two yellow cards within 10 seconds. 72. Lacazette shoots wide when one-on-one with the keeper. 74. Ramsdale makes a great save from Sice. Talking heads. Mikel Arteta. They are three big points, especially coming here with the way that they've been playing. The moment that we had after three weeks I think they were pretty close to us as well, and to come here and in the way that we've done it, I think it shows and I think it's a good summary of who we are today. Alexandra Lacazette In the end we handled the pressure, and to play the end of the game like this, it's a really good win. We deserved it because throughout the game we had chances to score. I had one and I should have scored, but in the end the team was strong. Each game is going to be really important if we want to go to the Champions League. We know in January we were not good enough, so we want to be better to increase our chance for the top four. Facts. Gabriel's goal was the first that Wolves have conceded from a corner in the Premier League this season, leaving Arsenal as the last team yet to concede via this method. Wolves conceded in the first half of a Premier League game for the first time since October. This was our 11th clean sheet of the season in the Premier League. Supporters' Voice At the match today are two supporters of over 60 years celebrating a very special birthday. Twins and superfans Stephen and Brian Yershon turned 70 this week and have been following Arsenal together home, away and in Europe for over 60 years. Why Arsenal? Our dad Arnold was a supporter, which is where we acquired our love. We were brought up in Hackney. When did you start coming to Highbury? When we were around six in 1958. 
We would stand in the clock end. Because we were so small, we'd occasionally be passed down the crowded terraces and end up sitting with the St. John's ambulance men, pitch side. The first game we can remember was against the then champions Wolves in 1961. We were smashed, 5-1, but fortunately it didn't put us off. Favourite games? Winning the Fairs Cup in 1970 against Anderlecht at Highbury. Coming from three down at one point, we danced on the pitch with thousands of others to celebrate our first trophy in 17 years. Winning the FA Cup semi-final against Stoke with the great Gordon Banks in goal at Villa Park was fantastic too. It meant we could go to our first cup final and eventually the double. There have since been many title wins and FA Cups. We've been to 10. The European Cup Winners' Cup win in 1994 was also special. Stevens says, I particularly loved the title win at Old Trafford with Wiltford's goal when standing behind the Arsenal champions' banner. Brian says, And Celtic for a Champions League qualifier in 2009. Then Spurs manager Harry Redknapp sat next to me on the plane and we had a wonderful chat about football. He fell asleep during the flight and an Arsenal fan stuck an I love Arsenal sticker on his jacket. Favourite players? Brian says, Liam Brady, skill, vision, brilliant goals. He could pick a pass from anywhere, beautiful to watch. I also loved Wrighty for his passion, enthusiasm and goals but just behind Thierry, who was a delight to watch, scoring goals for fun, probably our best striker ever. Stephen says, The flamboyant 71 Cup final hero Charlie George. It wasn't until the Wenger years that both Henry and Bergkamp became firm favourites and joined Charlie. Favourite goal? Brian says, for sheer quality, Liam Brady swerving 25-yarder in the 5-0 win over Spurs in 1978, followed by Jack Wilshire's beautiful team goal in 2013 Norwich. Stephen says, George Graham's brilliant header in that 1971 semi-final replay and Thierry's solo goals versus Tottenham and Liverpool in the unbeaten season, both at Highbury. Proudest moments? Watching both our sons walking out as mascots for the Arsenal. Russell at the Stadium of Light in Lisbon against Benfica in 1991. Richard at Anfield in January 1992, Ray Parler's debut. Arsenal Legacy. Both our sons, Richard and Russell, have been season ticket holders with us since 1987 and our daughters, Louise and Danielle, too, at different times over the years. Our eldest grandchildren, Evie and Freddie, have been coming to games since 2018 to 19. Know an Arsenal fan whose story should be told? Perhaps they have gone to great lengths to show their support for the Gunners, battled against difficulties in their lives, or shown great compassion for others. If you think they have a story, we need to hear it. Email us at programme at arsenal.co.uk Every supporter featured will receive a unique, personalised version of the Matchday programme featuring their story. Teams.
For Arsenal, manager Mikel Arteta. Red shirts with white sleeves, white shorts, red and white hoop socks. One, Ben Leno, goalkeeper. Three, Kieran Tierney. Four, Ben White. Five, Tomas Partey. Six, Gabriel. Seven, Bukayo Saka. Eight, Martin Odegaard. Nine, Alexandre Lacazette. Ten, Emile Smith-Rowe. Sixteen, Rob Holding. Seventeen, Cedric Suarez. Eighteen, Takahiro Tomiyasu. Nineteen, Nicolas Pepe. Twenty, Nuno Tavares. Twenty-three, Albert Sambi Lokonga. Twenty-five, Mohamed Elneny. Thirty, Edian Kitia. Thirty-two, Aaron Ramsdale, goalkeeper. Thirty-three, Arthur Okonkwo, goalkeeper. 34. Granit Xhaka 35. Gabriel Martinelli 58. Mika Bierath 65. Salah Adin Olad Mhand 75. Zach Awe 82. Omari Hutchinson 87. Charlie Patino For Brentford, head coach Thomas Frank, yellow shirt, shorts and socks 1. David Rea, goalkeeper 3. Rico Henry 5. Ethan Pinnock 6. Christian Norgard 7. Sergei Canos 8. Matthias Jensen 10. Josh Da Silva 11. Johan Wisser 14. Sanan Godos 15. Frank Onyeka 17. Ivan Tony 18. Pontus Jansson 19. Brian Mbumu 20. Christopher Oye 21. Christian Eriksen 22. Matthias Jorgensen 23. Julien Janvier 24. Tariq Fossu-Henry 25. Miles Pert-Harris 26. Shandam Baptiste 27. Vitaly Janelt 29. Madsbeck Sorensen 30. Mads Ryoslev 34. Daniel Oyogoki 36. Finley Stevens, 37, Maxwell Haygarth, 39, Lewis Gordon, 40, Alvaro Hernandez, goalkeeper, 41, Matthew Cox, goalkeeper, 43, Nathan Young Coombs, 49, Jonas Lossi, goalkeeper, referee Jonathan Moss, assistant referees Mark Perry, Timothy Wood, fourth official Simon Hooper, VAR official Lee Mason. Additional VAR official, Daniel Robothan. Today's other fixtures, 3pm, unless stated. West Ham United vs Newcastle United at 12.30pm. Aston Villa vs Watford. Brighton and Hove Albion vs Burnley. Crystal Palace vs Chelsea. Liverpool vs Norwich City. Southampton vs Everton. Manchester City vs Tottenham Hotspur at 5.30pm. The Arsenal Foundation, helping young people fulfil their potential through education and sport. No room for racism.
Amazon original. The Grand Tour presents Lockdown. New special. Watch now. Prime Video. EA Sports. FIFA 22. FIFA official licensed product. Powered by Football. Registered trademark. Pre-order now. 3. Registered trademark. www.pegi.info In-game purchases. In-game purchases includes random items. Play has no limits. Copyright 2021. Electronic Arts Inc. Electronic Arts. EA. EA Sports. The EA Sports logo. Ultimate Team. And powered by football are trademarks of Electronic Arts Inc. Official FIFA licensed product. Copyright FIFA and FIFA's official licensed product logo are copyright and or trademarks of FIFA. All rights reserved. Manufactured under license by Electronic Arts Inc. All UEFA Champions League registered trademarks, designs and or copyright of UEFA. All rights reserved. The PlayStation symbol, PlayStation, PS4, PS5 and Play Has No Limit are registered trademarks or trademarks of Sony Interactive Entertainment Inc. Where We Belong New 21 Stroke 22 Third Kit Available in store and Arsenal Direct 